All right, welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Inform with Anthony. Let's talk today. We have here in the studio, Mr. Lan He Chen. Thank you. He's running for state controller. Yep. Right. Um, and we just want to say thank you first and foremost for being here. Thank Great you to be for, here. For Great to time. be here. Thank you. And um, why don't we just jump right into it? So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe childhood? Yeah. And so my parents are immigrants from Taiwan. Uh, they came to the U.S. in the 1970s uh, pursuing education. They actually met in Ohio, uh, and uh, they were both graduate students. They met at a graduate student mixer, uh, and then they moved to North Carolina so my dad could finish his medical training, uh, and that's where I was born. I was born in North Carolina. I spent the first six years of my life there, and after six years, my parents figured out two things about North Carolina. Number one is it's really far from Taiwan, and number two is the Chinese food is really bad. So you know, I'm I'm of Taiwanese heritage, and so you know, food's really important in our in our family. So we actually moved to LA. We moved to Southern California. I grew up in Roland Heights, which is a suburb not far from where we're recording this right now. Uh, and I had a, a wonderful upbringing in the '90s, growing up in LA. Uh, you know, kind of typical childhood, right? Uh, hanging out in the neighborhood. Uh, the community when I grew up, Roland Heights, was, was fairly diverse. We had a large Asian population, a large Hispanic population, uh, and it was great. You know, I often think about my childhood and growing up in California during that time as one of the reasons why I'm doing this now is because of the difference between the California I grew up in and the California that we have now and some of the challenges that we have now that, you know, we didn't face when I was growing up in the 90s in L.A. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Grew up rooting for the Dodgers and Lakers, big Dodger and Laker fan. Let's you know, go. R- right now, it's, oh, man, these, like, games stress me out. These Dodger <laughs> games stress me out. I, I, I was telling um, uh, Tyler, who was with me, like, man, it's like, these, this gives me more anxiety than the campaign, you know, watching these <laughs> watching these games. But, uh, yeah, grew up big Dodger, Laker fan, uh, and, uh, and then went to public high school uh, in Roland Heights. And uh, after four years there, went on to Harvard. And was able to to get four degrees from Harvard, including my undergraduate degree, a master's degree, my law degree, and then finally a, a PhD in political science. But through it all, you know, always missed California. Always loved you know what California had to offer, particularly the LA area. And so uh, I'm really glad to to be back here. And and my wife and I have been back here for the last nine years. We actually live in the Bay Area now. But uh, two kids, 12 year old and an eight year old, and uh, you know, life is a lot of fun for us. But we look at the state and think. What can we do to make it better? Yeah. So in case you didn't hear that, that's four Harvard degrees. Uh, I'll have you know, sir, that I also have one degree from an online school that I took a long time. Hey. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> you know, h- however we get educated, right? I mean, yeah. I think I think everybody is looking to figure out how do we make it work in this economy? How do we make it work with what's going on right now? So people come at this from all sorts of different backgrounds, and I respect that. Yeah, absolutely. Um with with school and education, when you were going through through Harvard, did you kind of you know, I, I feel with public education now or just any education, we're we're leaning into some some very interesting times with what they're educating about or what they're pushing. Yeah. Did you kind of see that when you were going through Harvard or? Um, you know, it was a different time. It was the it was the late nineties, mm-hmm. and I, I I think first of all, college campuses have always been pretty progressive. They've always been pretty left of center. Um, what we are seeing now, I think, is a whole different dimension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we are seeing, in many cases, you know, one of the things that we, we value about education, particularly higher education in the U.S., is that it should be an environment where multiple points of view are represented and where we value diversity, not for diversity's sake, but because what it does is it exposes us to all different points of view. I don't think you're seeing that in a lot of college campuses now. I think what you're seeing is there is a right point of view and there's a wrong point of view. 
And if you don't espouse the right point of view, you're canceled. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that is not what made our system of higher education strong in America. What made it strong was this is a place where ideas could prosper, regardless of whether those ideas were, quote, right or wrong. The wrong ideas were disposed of in, in the academic debate. That's what you have a debate for, right? As you say, here's an idea. Is it a good idea or a bad idea? Let's discuss and debate it. That's what academics is about. I think in too many places that attitude of, well, there's only one right opinion, mm-hmm. and you got to have that opinion or else you're wrong and forget about you. That's something we see in colleges. But I'll tell you the more troubling thing, Anthony, is that that's what we're seeing in high schools. That's what we're seeing in middle schools. That's what we're seeing in elementary schools right now. And, and, and that is not, in my view, our system is best when we are promoting lots of different ideas and giving people exposure to lots of different ideas. And then they can decide for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. People are smart enough to figure out what good ideas and bad ideas are, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you start censoring, you know, what some might deem as, hey, that's too controversial or that's considered hate speech because of how I feel or stuff like that. I think that you move away, especially in the academic sector, I feel like you move away from what the maybe the school set out to do, which is to educate, you know, future generations and to prepare them for the real world. And, hey, even if you get into debt here at Harvard or Yale or anywhere, you know, UCLA, USC, um, it is an investment into your future as opposed to now where, like, I'll be honest, I have three children. I have one of them getting ready for college. He's a sophomore. So I know I don't look that old. You don't. (laughs) You don't. I was going to (laughs) say. I know. Everyone always says, like, man, you don't even look that old. So I I definitely um, have to thank my uh, Hispanic roots for that um, and genetics. Yeah, hey, I I get it. The Asian genes, too. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thankful for that. So um, I'm worried. I'm like, I I want him to get the best education because he's really into engineering right now. And he was looking at the University of Utah. I guess they have like a good engineering program out there. And so I just don't want to be wasting my money. I don't want to send them somewhere where it's like, okay, I'm send here. I am sending him, you know, we're Christian here. I am sending him this top of his class. It, he's already in engineering and I, I don't want to send them somewhere where he's going to come back and like, now he's an activist. He doesn't even care about engineering anymore. And so, you know, that's, that's always scary, but, um, I, I, I think that, uh, we need to get back to that with, yeah. with the schools and the education. So you went there back in the late 90s, so you said it was different, and I just... Yeah, different, you know, different, but but not... Uh, some of the trends that we're seeing now started then, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think in general, um, the the desire to sort of say, again, you know, there's a right idea and a wrong idea, you know, and, and in some cases, like, you know, if you're talking about, you know, gravity, yes, there is a right answer and a wrong answer. Mm-hmm. But in many areas, um, you know, it's not as easy as that. And, and, you know, we have a debate because, again, you know, that's what promotes the best and, and brightest ideas. And those are the ones that end up going on to be uh, ideas that get accepted because we have that discussion. But if you don't even have the discussion or the debate, how do you know you're getting to the right ideas? Mm-hmm. And, I think, and I think that's a problem we have in too many academic environments right now. Now, when you were going to school, what, what is it you have your degrees in? So, so my degrees are in political science and, and law. Okay. And I, uh, I sort of always figured I wanted to be involved in, uh, in public policy, uh, in, in government, in, in law, right? This sort of bundle of, of ideas. I mean, even growing up, I, my parents don't have any political background, right? Mm-hmm. They, did, they barely spoke English when they got to the U.S. It's like a lot of immigrant families, right? And, and, and that's why I think, by the way, that's the thing about America that's really cool is you can come from around the world and you can come with any background and you can try and make it work here. Mm-hmm. If you play by the rules, 
and you work hard, you can accomplish a lot. And I, we both know stories of families that have done that. And that's what makes America, that's what makes California awesome. Uh, but I'll say that for me, growing up, I think my parents just wanted me to be able to get a job that would be able to raise a family and have a good living, right? They mm -hmm. just wanted me to just, just, just try and do what I could to make it work here. And so when I expressed some interest in policy or politics, they were kind of like, oh, I don't know about that, right? Because mm -hmm. it was so foreign to them. They didn't come with any political background. It's not like they came from their home, home country with any political background, and they come here to the U.S., and the political system is foreign to them, right? But I just remember at a very early age thinking, that's how I, I think I can have impact. Mm -hmm. I think I can have impact by going into this system and trying to improve people's lives by, you know, focusing on the things I know how to do, focusing on my experience, applying that. And I remember watching a presidential debate when I was really young, uh, actually in the 88 presidential campaign between George H.W. Bush, who was uh, vice president at the time, running mm -hmm. for president, and a guy named Michael Dukakis, who was the governor of Massachusetts, running for president against him. And I remember the debate being so captivating, right? Like, here's two people arguing about ideas and about the best way to lead the country. And what drew me to the vision of conservatism, what drew me to the vision of being a Republican, was this idea that people are what make America great, not the government, right? right? I mean, the government is there to help facilitate things, but it's the compassion of people through their faith communities, through their uh, social communities, through their, their, their networks outside of government, helping each other, working together, being industrious, building small businesses that become big businesses. That's what makes, um, that's the fabric of what's made America the greatest country in the world all these years. And that vision was what I was drawn to. And so people all say like, oh, how'd you become a Republican? And it's like, well, that's, that's how, because that vision was so appealing to me. Now, unfortunately, there've been times the Republican party has deviated from that. And certainly the party hasn't been perfect. Mm -hmm. But as a general matter, when I think about how we solve problems as a country, people solve problems. Government doesn't solve problems. And that's why I continue to be drawn to the idea of how do we make this conservative movement, how do we make this center-right movement more successful and more attractive here in California and beyond? Yeah, I, I think that you're you're right. It's uh, one of those things where we have to, and, and I tell people all the time with the, with the audience when we're talking about politics specifically or specific candidates or specific seats, it's, it's one of those things where we got to remind ourselves that there is no... Uh, per se, hey, these people are coming to save us. It's it's us that has to save us. And and when you talked about you know uh, the the story of the immigrant, for example, I talk about this all the time. When people tell me, you know, hey, is is America really like inherently racist, or is it like a place that just you know uh, suppresses people of color or immigrants? And I'm like, you know, that might be true for some people, where maybe they experience that on a personal level. But I I, I feel like maybe even just generally speaking, being in Los Angeles, a huge Hispanic immigrant, you know, uh, location, a hub out here, including my mother being a Mexican uh, immigrant, having barely any education. You know, I don't think she even made it past middle school. Yeah. And it's like you said, she came here, didn't know the language, and now she's a proud homeowner, and now yes. she owns her own car, yes. and it's like. It's what it's like you said, America is one of those few places that you can come to possibly not knowing anything or having really much to offer outside of hard work. But it's a country that rewards and, hard work. And you know what? And she can watch her son succeed and she can watch her grandkids succeed. And that's that's the thing people don't understand. You know, when they talk about, you know, I mean, 
I, socialism as a, as a concept has become very much in vogue with young people, particularly now. And mm -hmm. it's like, do you understand what socialism has done to so many countries around the world, particularly in Latin America? Mm -hmm. You think about the contrast between those societies and the one we have here. What is possible in America? Yeah. And why are people fleeing places like Venezuela? Why are they fleeing places like Cuba? Mm -hmm. I, I never heard of anybody getting a boat to go to Cuba. Right. Right? Yeah. So what's the difference? The difference is that we have a place, we have a, a, a society, we have an economy where we want people to succeed and we want to create the predicate for that success. Not that we guarantee success. That's not what this, that's not what America's about. But uh, that, that's why I'm so bothered by folks who do want to take our country in that direction toward socialism, toward uh, leftist Marxist societies like we see in many parts of Latin America and some parts of Asia. And, and you know, I think it's a very real problem. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, there's a tendency to, to almost poo-poo that, to say, oh, no, 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 people aren't really trying to go there. It's like, no, people are. Oh, yeah. And you have to understand that there is a contrast in visions that our, that our country and our state is facing now. And that's why political participation matters, because what direction are you going to go in? What direction are we going to go in as a state and a country? Uh, people can play a role in that. That's the beautiful thing about America, mm -hmm. is you get to vote. You get to decide what direction you want to go in. So I hope people take that seriously. Yeah, absolutely. I think we have, what, like 20-something days to the midterms? And Less than a month, yeah. Less, Less than, than a month. month. Yeah. And, you know, here we are. Here we thought, uh, you know presidential election we thought man it's gonna be a long time before midterms and then now no, here we are less than no. 30 days there's always and an election around the corner in america always yeah whether it be a special election or just midterms it, it seems like time flies you know i was i was pondering about this uh the other day i'm like man presidential year you know 2024 is going to be kind of wild but then i had to sit there and reflect because i'm like man my son's gonna be 18 by then Holy he's gonna cow. be able to vote that's gonna be his first vote yeah so it's almost like hey man you know Sure, you love your job and you talk about politics, but also don't forget the small things like your son might be 18 and, you know, enjoy the day by day and make sure he's raised yeah. right, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But with, with that, um, with your with your schooling, so what happened right after you left Harvard? How did you get involved in politics? Yeah, so I, um, I, I'm one of the, probably one of the few people who left Harvard unemployed, <laughs> uh, in part because, you know, a lot of my friends went into banking and business and consulting, and I always knew I kind of wanted to do something different. So I moved to D.C., after I graduated from undergrad, and I didn't have a job, and my parents said, okay, you got six months to figure it out. <laughs> we'll help you out for six months. And after that, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, I better go find a job, right? And so I worked in D.C. for a while, uh, developing public policy, learning more about the political process, and, and eventually, you know, built a network and was able to, to work for President Bush, George W. Bush, when he was president. I helped on his presidential campaign, was able to work in his administration, uh, healthcare policy has always been the area I focused on. I focused on healthcare, but also more broadly, all of the issues involving our budget. So mm -hmm. all of our, our tax issues, the spending issues, Medicare, Social Security, those are the issues I've been uh, deeply enmeshed in over many years that I've studied, that I've worked in. And so I, I spent time in politics, and then I also went back and got further education. As, as I mentioned earlier, I got my law degree, got my PhD. I always thought maybe I wanted to teach at the university level, which I have for the last couple of years. But I, I always had one foot in, in the political sphere. Mm -hmm. I spent time working for George W. Bush. I worked for Mitt Romney when he ran for president in 2008. In 2012, I was his chief policy advisor. I spent time working for Senator Marco Rubio when he ran for president. Uh, helping him think about what the right policies were for our country if he were to be elected. 
Uh, and I've also spent time working on Social Security, as I mentioned earlier. I, spe I spent four years uh, on the board overseeing Social Security in, in the country to make sure that it's there for seniors, to make sure that we keep it healthy and strong. Uh, and, and, you know, spent a bunch of time working on those issues. And, and then at some point, you know, my wife and I got married in 2009, and she's also from California. She grew up in Encino, so, you know, not that far from here either. And we, we, we had one child at the time, and we said, you know, we want to be closer to family. And so we were living on the East Coast, and that's when we moved back to California in 2013. And I ended up in Northern California in the Bay Area because I started teaching at Stanford. Okay. And I've been uh, on the faculty there for the last nine years. I've been uh, associated with a place called the Hoover Institution, which a lot of people know because that's where Condoleezza Rice is based, Victor Davis Hanson, a uh, bunch of people who are really smart, smarter than I am, who, who, <laughs> who look at, who look at you know, issues involving our, our country and our state. And I've been based there for the last nine years, but at the same time have also been able to build my own small business, have been involved in investing in other businesses, have helped to run a, a big healthcare system in my community. And so the, the last several years have been, have been great because I've been able to stay involved in policy, stay involved in politics, but also to teach and also to see what it's like to have to try and run a business and what it's like to try and, and make ends meet in, in a place where it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that. And, and California, for a long time, people came to California to pursue their dreams. Go west, right? Think about all the great things. And, and I fear, Anthony, it's getting harder and harder to do that here. Oh, yeah. I talk to more and more families who are having a really tough time. And recent immigrant families from Asia, from Latin America, Hispanic families, Asian families, and they all tell me the same thing. It's like gas is expensive, milk is expensive, we can't afford a house. And it, you know, it just feels like it's really hard. And all the tax money we send, our schools still aren't good, We've got a lot of problems in our state. How do we fix it? And it's the same refrain I hear. It doesn't matter what background the family is. Right. And that tells you something about where we are as a state. Yeah, absolutely. I, I You mentioned something that I find very fascinating. I, I apologize for not making a note of this, but you talked about how your expertise of sorts was in the medical health care. Yeah. I'm actually very fascinated by that topic because it's something that for so long, you know, Democrats have always used like, oh, Republicans want to take away your Social Security. They want to take away your health care. Yeah. Um, but what I have found is that sometimes the Republicans don't have a solution for it. That's right. Maybe in your opinion, what, what, how do you see? Because I know health care is a big one here in California. Yeah. So I've now transitioned to being fully independent. I don't want, no longer work with the media company I used to. And so my wife also used to work. Um, and now she's at home, thankfully, yeah. because yeah. of the line of work I do in and you know we do well for ourselves, um, but we also don't have healthcare now, so we have to kind of rely on yes. having to pay for it. But it's becoming a problem. It's something that maybe I didn't pay attention to because I was also prior military uh, okay. for over a decade, and so healthcare was hey, it was covered by the government. Part of Anything, the job. Yep. Yeah. But here you have a lot of Californians, including conservative Republicans, are like, "What's going on with healthcare? Like, what's the Republican solution?" Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Anthony, you're right. I think in too many cases, uh, Republicans have only been good at identifying the problem. Mm -hmm. They haven't been good at saying what the solution is. The solution is we have to lower health care costs, and, mm -hmm. and that's how you expand access to health insurance. One of the biggest problems we have in our country is that we have a health care system that's sort of like been built like a Lego structure. We just sort of put pieces on one at a time. And if you look at the whole system together, it may not make a lot of sense, right? Mm -hmm. We're the only country in the world where healthcare system, the healthcare of individuals and families is so tied to their jobs. 
Mm-hmm. So if you have a job, if you're in the military, you work for a big company, you get your health care through your company. But if you're a freelancer or you have your own small business or you work a couple different jobs, then what do you do? Right. There's no real marketplace for that, right? And the way that we create a healthier marketplace is always through competition. You think about any product, any good, any service. When there's competition, the cost comes down. It's natural economics. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is one of the few areas where we have a couple of, in some cases, monopolies that control, for example, uh, certain kinds of care. And that leads to care being more expensive and harder to get. So the way that we encourage costs to come down is through more competition, creating more flexible arrangements. Why isn't it the case, for example, that you own a, a healthcare insurance policy and as you move from job to job or situation to situation, you keep that health care. Yeah. Why doesn't the health care go with you as opposed to it being tied to the job? It's a concept called portability, something I've worked on a lot in my career. We need a platform that allows people to have health care that they can take with them from job to job, from situation to situation, have a robust marketplace so you can go online and shop, for example, for health insurance based on what you need, not what the government tells you you need. Because mm-hmm. in too many cases, the government says, hey, Anthony, here's the policy you really need. And you're like, you don't know me. Mm-hmm. You don't know my life situation. I should be able to buy health care that fits for where I am and what I'm doing and is right-sized and appropriately priced. And by the way, I should be able to take that with me from place to place. So that's the solution. Mm-hmm. The solution is promote competition, lower costs, make sure we're providing health care for those who need it, who can't afford it. But at the same time, make sure that we create a competitive marketplace so that you have the opportunity to pick the healthcare that works for you and your family. We don't have that enough now. Mm-hmm. We got all these different platforms, and you're trying to buy healthcare and figure out and navigate the system. People are like, forget it, it's too complicated. We need to figure out how to simplify the system. And it all comes back to making sure people have information. I'll say one more thing in healthcare, it's the only place where you don't know the price of something. Right. Okay. So you go and you, you're like, I'm hungry, I wanna go get lunch. And I, you know, I personally, I like Jersey Mike subs. Okay, so I go to Jersey Mike's and I want to buy a sandwich and it says right there, eleven fifty for the giant. Mm-hmm. Or it's more than that, it's like sixteen fifty now. <laughs> Inflation. So you, you know how much it costs. But if you want to go get an MRI, good luck. Right. You want to, you have your appendix out, good luck. You get the bill afterwards, but you don't know how much it costs. So we need to bring transparency to pricing in healthcare as well. So I went on longer than you probably wanted. But my basic point is, we don't have the same kind of market forces at play in healthcare as we do everywhere else. What's up, guys? Anthony Cabasa here. Just want to take a quick pause to first and foremost, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot uh, to us in the production uh, side of things and also myself for all the things that you guys do to continue to support our work. Another great way if you're looking to be able to expand our platform to keep the lights on here in the studio, sort of say, uh, you can become a monthly contributor. If you go to informwithanthony.com, there is a tab there on how to become a Patreon subscriber or a YouTube subscriber uh, for less than a gallon of gas. And gallon of gas is uh, rounding up $10. So for less than $10, you can help support my platform. Another way that you can also help is uh, also on our website. Uh, We have some cool little merch there that we have right before the midterms. We got this, I'm actually wearing it right now. Uh, We have a Volta shirt. This means vote, get out there, get activated. Make sure you vote this upcoming midterms. Your voice matters, get activated, make sure to vote. So again, those are ways that you can right now for 
you know, less than a gallon of gas or for the t-shirt, you can go on to the website, www.informwithanthony.com. Make that purchase and continue to help us here at the Inform with Anthony studio. So again, thank you so much for your time. See you guys out there. So these are fascinating ideas. I like the portability aspect, but why are Republicans, you know, uh, I think I I was at a conservative event with Michael Knowles, Mm -hmm. where he talked about one of the big problems about the Republican Party is they become the party of no. Yeah. So like Democrats offer a solution, which sometimes is socialism, right? Like, hey, health, free healthcare for everyone. Well, it's not free. But then you look at the Republican policy and they're like, well, no, we're just not going to do that. Like, well, okay, but then what's your policy? So where do you think that disconnect is? Um, And and again, I ask you because you've worked with these campaigns. It's like, I don't remember them saying it, but it's like, if, you know, here you are as an advisor and like, hey, I think this might work, but then where's the disconnect? You know know what it is? I think sometimes in politics, it's just easier to be against stuff, Mm. right? And, and that's not the brand of politics I subscribe to. I mean, if you look at the campaign we're running now for state controller, I talk all the time about ideas. Mm-hmm. What do I want to do to make the state better? Uh, it doesn't do you any good to be against stuff. But of course we're going to be against stuff. Of course there's stuff we disagree with. But at the end of the day, we're not going to move forward as a country, as a state, unless we're for stuff. So I, I'm very strongly in favor of being for things, of articulating what it is you're for, what it is you want to do if you get elected. But in politics, sometimes it's just easier to say, hey, that guy's for something really bad. I'm against that. Right. It's just easier, and it's lazy. But you see it a lot. You see it from Republicans and Democrats, unfortunately. Yeah. And I wish the conversation were more productive. I agree. With that, you're talking about state controller. So a lot of people, you know, it's, it, you know, you can make the argument it's not a sexy race it's not like you know most people the average voter uh i've talked with them they don't even know that you can vote in like judges yeah they don't know you can pretty vote crazy. For, like a water board so yeah like that's kind of like the point of this podcast is to bring in people that are running in these outside races probably nonpartisan, right like we try to have the sheriff here but he's really tied up um, but these races that are not necessarily partisan they're yeah. nonpartisan. and so um why did you come to the conclusion like hey i want to do if I'm going to run for anything in California, this is the job, state controller. So I, I want you to imagine a place where they spend $300 billion a year, but don't tell you how they spend it. Mm. That's California. I figured. The controller, <laughs> the controller is the person who can give us direct accountability for how that money is spent. The controller is responsible for every single dollar the state spends. It's a big job. It's like being the chief financial officer of the state of California. It's one of eight statewide elected positions in California. And all of these jobs are independent. They don't report to the governor. They report to the people. The job of the controller is to make sure that every Californian understands how their money is being spent. And that's why it's important. Because we have a lot of problems in this state we're not dealing with. Homelessness, uh, public schools that aren't performing at the level we want, a health care system that too often doesn't provide care to people. Um, you can go on and on, right? Roads that don't seem to get fixed, a gas tax that seems to get higher and higher. All of these problems, the controller can help by giving us accountability. The controller can go in and not just give us transparency over spending, but also can go in and say, is the spending working or not? You have the ability as controller to be an auditor, to be the chief auditor of the state, to go into a program and say homelessness, for example, a great example. We've spent $20 billion on homelessness as a state over the last couple of years. 
the problem's getting worse. Yeah. I was in San Francisco and LA yesterday. I was in San Francisco in the morning, LA in the evening. The homelessness problem has exploded in both places. And it's not just the homelessness problem, but it's related to public safety. It's related to education. It's related to how we feel as a society. Do we feel safe and secure where we live? And the fact that we have no accountability, the people in Sacramento, they can't tell you where the money went. We've asked them. They can't tell you. That's unacceptable. We live in California. We should be able to figure that out, right? And the fact that California is the only state in the country where you cannot see the state's checkbook. You can't see line by line where the money goes. You think about your family's budget, all the folks out there listening and watching. You got your own budget. You got your checkbook. Of course you keep track of the checks you write. California, not so much. Mm -hmm. And so this is why the controller is important. It's the person who can tell us where our tax money is going. If there's one thing I want people to remember about this job, you need a watchdog, not a lapdog. You need someone who's going to watch out for your money, not someone who's just going to say, yeah, go spend it. Because you know what? Too often, they don't spend it very well, and that's unacceptable. And so what, what are some of the things that, for example, maybe the current controller is, is not doing that you would do as far yeah. as transparency? Because I think that one thing with our generation that works really well is social media, posting graphs on there and saying like, hey, this is what we, you know, are you looking to do like month to month or like how, how would it work? Every day, transparency? every day. We should be communicating with people every day on social media. Maybe I can get your help if I get elected to get the word out about, hey, here's where your money is going. Okay, Absolutely. let's uh, let's do it graphically. Let's do it by video. Let me explain to you. You know, one of the things I've been for the last nine years as a teacher. Let me teach you about where the state is spending money. Let me tell you where we're going to go first to examine what's happening. We'll just bring people along this journey. And let's just go through the state budget, top to bottom. Number one, education. Mm -hmm. Where's that money going? 76% of public schools do not tell the controller where the money is going for pay and benefits for administrators. Oh, wow. Okay, current controller, it's cool. We'll figure it out sometime. That's not my attitude. I want to see this information within a month after taking office. Every single school district, if you don't produce it, I'm going to subpoena you. I'm going to make sure you give me that data. And then we're going to report it to people. Mm -hmm. I can't change the way school districts spend money, but I can tell people what's going on, and they can make sure the school districts spend money a different way. This is about harnessing the power of people, the power of information. Information is power. Uh, and, and every single day, we're going to be making the case. You need to know more about what your government is doing. We are all citizens. We are all participating in this process. We are responsible for what's happening here. And if Sacramento is messing up, it's shame on us for not telling them to shape up. And so part of the responsibility I have as controller is to make sure people understand where is the money going so we can start to fix it, so we can start to say, hey, listen, school district, I, I want you to tell us how much you're paying your administrators. Mm -hmm. We deserve to know because it's our money. Sometimes people in Sacramento or in local government, they treat it like it's their money. It's not their money. It's your money, everybody who's listening. And the fact that we don't have a better... Uh, person up there to see and help us understand what's going on, that's the single biggest change I would make from what's happening now. There's too much complacency. Mm -hmm. There's too much go along to get along. We got to start and fire things up a little bit and make sure that the, that the people of this state understand what's going on. I, you know, immediately you're talking about this and, and, you know, again, with the social media stuff, I know people would be very, very uh, happy to see these monthly reports. And I can, you know, just thinking, I don't know if there's ever been like a time, you know, when I was working in my old media company, 
Um, they, we would reach out to state office and, and local offices here in California and be like, Hey, can we get like a, like a monthly newsletter from you guys? Or can we get like, um, like an update sheet from you guys? And it was so hard. It's, it's like, like pulling, pulling teeth. teeth. Yeah, I know. And, and so with the state governor, uh, I try to get media credentials for the governor. And I'm like, Hey, here are my credentials. Here's my journalist batch. Here's my editor in chief. Here's my boss saying that I'm designated for California. I'm the guy. And I think what happened was they must have like Googled like who I am and they must have found out that I'm like more conservative leaning, more Republican. And uh, I've been critical of Gavin Newsom before, rightfully so. I don't just hop on and, you know, oh, it's 930 at night. What should I do? Oh, I know. I'm going to tweet at Gavin Newsom that he's stupid and smelly. Like, I don't do that. I, I say, hey. You passed this policy and nothing's getting done. Yeah. You passed $20 billion to homelessness and it's only getting worse. Yeah. So what's going on? And so they never got back to me. So they replied to me one time and they said, hey, thank you for submitting all your stuff. We got the letter. We got the credentials, everything. And then later on, they just completely ignored us. And my editor chief's like, hey, man, that's going to happen because we're a conservative leaning and, and very independent media company. And so... What I was getting to was with your reports, it would be amazing to have something maybe like where media can go in yeah. and sign up. So yeah. like you don't have to send it to, you know, everyone by yourself, but like, hey, we're going to distribute these monthly reports. Yeah. If you want to have access to them, here's media credential. This is how yeah. you get. And then you can just have it. And you sh- and, and I think it would encourage more journalists to be like, what? Like yeah. in two months? Yeah. Like, yeah, this is look what look what this dude found in two months. Right. Yeah. Like. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, I don't care if the journalist is liberal. because It doesn't matter. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who they are. They are welcome to cover everything we do. We will give a credential to any journalist that wants to come and cover what we're doing because the more people who know, the better. Yeah. The more people who know, the better. I am in the information-providing business. And people who want to help me get the information out, I'm for it. By the way, Anthony, we might find out there's some things that are working really well. Right. And we want to highlight those things. We want to say, good job. Let's keep doing more of this. But I can pretty much tell you, if you're spending $20 billion on homelessness and you look at what we've seen in the last couple of years of what's happened, eh, I don't think so. I think something's not working right. Yeah. And I think people deserve to know what's not working right because uh, we send too much tax money in Sacramento to be complacent. Mm-hmm. It, we just shouldn't be complacent. We, we need to take a more active role in figuring out what's going on in our state. Can you talk uh, a little bit about like maybe some of the things that you've just as an outsider been able to see that's wrong with the state? I know some of the things that we were looking at with the EDD fraud. Oh, man. Talking about, you know, the billions in homelessness, which you kind of covered, the cost of living, the gas tax. You kind of talked about yeah. that, but maybe just kind yeah. of. So, so let's talk about two things you mentioned that I think deserve more attention. Number one. Uh, the EDD fraud. So uh, I'm sure you've talked about it. Some people in your audience probably know about it. We sent between 20 and $30 billion to fraudsters in Russia, in China, in state prison. Scott Peterson, you know, the convicted murderer, yeah. he applied for unemployment benefits and the state actually awarded those benefits because what happened during the pandemic is Governor Newsom opened the floodgates and said, anybody who wants benefits, come get them. And predictably what happened was you had lots of people who committed fraud to get these benefits. And then they used these benefits to buy new Rolexes, to buy new cars, to buy new clothes. And that's your money. Mm -hmm. That's your money that they were wasting. And why did that happen? That happened because people were lazy. People were complacent. They should have fixed some of these technology systems, and they never fixed them. 
And so what the controller needs to do is to come in and say, hey, fix this, guys. We're going to identify the ways that you make sure this never happens again, and you better make sure it never happens again. You know, here's just a very basic question. If I send in an application for unemployment insurance benefits and I put as my address state prison, why didn't the system just kick that out and say, yeah, yeah, no, that's probably not a good idea? It's crazy to me how backwards these systems are. We got computer systems from the 1970s running these programs. Mm-hmm. This California, we have the best technology in the world, and you're telling me you can't figure out your computer systems. Unacceptable. Silicon Valley's right here. It's right here. <laughs> so, so that's the EDD fraud issue. The second issue that I think is really important is the gas tax. We need to audit the gas tax. Where does all that money go? 54 cents for every gallon is state excise tax, plus another 50 cents to $1.50 in fees and taxes. By the time we're done with it, we're paying two bucks per gallon just in taxes and fees. So you tell me, why is gas so much more expensive in California than everywhere else? Literally, literally. I was in the state of Utah recently. In the state of Utah, you buy a gallon of gas for between three and four dollars. Here, six, seven, eight dollars a gallon in LA. And the difference, I'll tell you, is because of regulations we have in this state, because of specific rules we have in this state that don't apply in other states, but also taxes and fees. And so I want to get to the bottom of how you're spending those taxes. You know what the state says when they you ask them, hey, where are you spending our gas tax? Better roads. Better roads. It's like, okay. It's a default answer. You know what? You know what? People building those roads are working really hard. It's not their fault. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you as a state are doing something wrong if you're telling me you're spending all that money on roads and we see what we see. Are you going to believe them or our own eyes? Right. Audit that gas tax. One of the first things we're going to do, audit it and figure out where the money is going. And then we're going to issue a report and tell people, here's where the money's going. Do you think this is being spent well? So why is the current controller not doing any of this? I mean, I, I, you know, I've read up on some of her, you know, um, I guess misdoings. I know she has problem with taxes. I know she has problems. Well, uh, apparently accountability because there is none right now. And then I was even reading one of them that really alarmed me was that she went to Venezuela to study socialism and yeah. how it works. And, you know, I, I've always kind of made a, a, an argument, and this is, you know, my own opinion, that where California goes, so goes the nation. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean is, you know, Gavin Newsom, for example, even though he swears up and down he's not running for president, I think he's positioning himself to of run for is. president. Sure. And I think that anyone with political experience could kind of see that hand at play now. Um, but I think that California has always been a blueprint, unfortunately, for the worse of how they really want to n- steer the nation. And I, I don't know why in California they chose. I don't know if it's just because people are not paying attention or people don't care enough to fight back or what it is. Or maybe you, I can get your opinion on that. But it seems like the blueprint for this socialist agenda that they're trying to pass with the nation, possibly under a Gavin Newsom presidency, um, you know, whether he wins or not, I don't think that's the point. It's that they're going to attempt it anyway because yeah. they're going to be like, well, we're always going to try. You know, yeah. like we might not win, but we're, of course, going to try. And it, it happens here. Now we have a state controller that no accountability, no one's holding her accountable. Um, and and now she's studying socialism. Yeah. So, so the current state controller is actually leaving office. She's done after eight years. My opponent, a woman named Malia Cohen, who is uh, – uh, you know, started her career in San Francisco, has been involved in San Francisco politics all her life, um, you know, does have some really troubling things about her background. Uh, you've mentioned one of them, which is that uh, in you know, several years ago, she paid to go to Venezuela to study socialism. Mm-hmm. And she says she was there to look at the healthcare system. You know, I'm a healthcare expert. I can tell you the healthcare system, there's no good. 
you got a lot of people who are suffering in Venezuela. So yeah. if that's the reason she was there, we got a problem. Does she want to bring Venezuelan healthcare to California, to America? What is she doing, not just visiting Venezuela, Anthony, but speaking so glowingly about the revolutionary mindset in Venezuela, speaking so glowingly about Hugo Chavez? Why? Mm-hmm. Why, wh- why is she doing that? But it goes further than that. You know, here is somebody, I told you earlier, the controller is the person who manages the fifth largest economy in the world. Malia Cohen, she can't even manage her own finances. She didn't pay her taxes, got a business license revoked, decided that she wanted to walk away from her house, got foreclosed on, not because she couldn't pay the bills. We know there are a lot of Californians who've been through some really tough times, but they still make it work. They fulfill their obligations. Here is a woman who chronically walks away from personal and professional responsibilities, decided, I don't like the bank. I don't feel like paying my bills anymore. So I'm going to go. And so she got foreclosed on. Cannot even manage her own finances, but wants to manage the finances for the fifth largest economy in the world. When she was on the board of supervisors in San Francisco County, worst attendance record, never showed up to work, but but did manage to vote herself pay increases every single year. Of course. So, you know, listen, uh, Californians have a choice in this election. And it's between somebody who, like me, has been focused on solving problems, building careers, trying to make our state better versus somebody who can't even manage her own finances but now wants a wants a promotion. She wants to go to be controller and she can't even manage her way out of a paper bag. Mm-hmm. So you tell me which choice is better. It's a clear choice for Californians in my view. And that's why in this campaign we're going to make it very clear to every Californian we're starting our TV ads today, we're starting ads on social media, we're starting ads on digital media across the state. We're going to take the case to every Californian and say, "Listen, Do you want more of the same, more of the same failure, more of the same you don't know what's going on, more of the same spending and not solving problems? Or do you want someone who's going to look at problems like a nerd? I'm a nerd. I get that. But I think we need a little bit of nerdiness. I think we need somebody who's going to come in and take a look at these problems and try and solve them. Now, what's really interesting is, A, that the media is not talking about your opponent. And I meant to say that, the candidate, uh, not the person, the the incumbent that's obviously leaving. Um, But I meant to say that the candidate that you're running against and um, it, it's really interesting how, given her track record, a lot more people are not sounding the alarm about like, hey, wh- if, if you can't even, like you said, and it's, and it's not a personal attack. Hey, no, if you, you want to be in politics, this is, this is the arena, right? Yeah. Hey, you're obviously going to have, all of this is public information, by the way. It's not like a- Nope. It's, it's in the LA like, Times. Right. The LA Times reported on her financial problems. Right. So we just took it straight out of the LA Times, yeah. right? And, and it, it's, it's directly relevant. It's directly relevant because if you're thinking about, again, she's not running for water board. Mm-hmm. She's not running for school superintendent. She's running to be controller. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in for a minute. The person who oversees the tax system in the state didn't pay her own taxes. Think about the hypocrisy of that for a minute. Yeah. She didn't pay her taxes, but she wants you to pay yours. How's that work? Yeah. I can tell you something. I pay my taxes every year. There are a lot of them. I know you do too. It's like, we, we do that because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. She apparently thinks she's above the rules, and, and that's not what we need in our politics. Yeah. I, I, you know, with that, I know you have, you know, your, your race is one of the most highlighted, not just in California, but I've, I've gone to plenty of states where they talk about, you know, like some of the state races out here and like yeah. how important they are, treasurer being one of them, controller being another one. Yep. I've heard some people, you know, that, that say like, hey, man, like how – How's that guy Lan Hee Chan out there? You know, and I'm yeah. like, hey, I'm going to interview him soon. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. hopefully we reached out to his campaign. 
Um, and so with that, you you also have some really great endorsements, yes, I think. Do. And you know, you're a Republican. Mm-hmm. I'm very conservative. A lot of people in our audience is very Republican and and and, and conservative as well. Uh, we do have some independents, some left of center as well, and I appreciate every single listener. Um, but some some of these endorsements are what a lot would see as. Um, uh, out of the ordinary yes. for a Republican yes. like yourself. So you have the LA Times, uh-huh. you have the Sacramento Bee, yep. and you even have the Centrist Democrat of America mm-hmm. and Mr. Andrew Yang himself. I do. And earlier, I think I heard you say move forward. I'm like, ah, yeah. he's that, the move forward mentality, you know, like, yeah. hey, not left or right. Yeah. I know it wasn't in regards to that, but um, yeah. you, you have some uh, really impressive, I, I think it's, you know. Thank you. As, a, as someone that, is a conservative commentator and, and, you know, politically, I, I tend to lean a lot more with the Republicans. I can, especially in California, I can admire when centrists or when people that just have, hey, logical, hey, this is not about, you know, it's not a partisan race. It's we're looking at his policies. We're looking at his track record. We're looking at what he can get done, what his policies are going to be, especially with transparency, which I think is fantastic. And 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 people will definitely be interested to see those reports. And that's why we're endorsing this Republican. Yeah. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, listen, Anthony, it shouldn't be partisan, right? And and the, um, the, the support I have from across the political spectrum demonstrates that people want someone who's going to go to Sacramento and just do the job. Don't worry about politics. Just do the job. And for too long in the controller's job, we've had rubber stamps. Just somebody who says, yeah, that looks good. Let's send it along. Nobody to stop and ask critical questions, to be a watchdog, to be the independent voice. When the LA Times endorsed me, they said, we endorse him because we need an independent fiscal watchdog for our state. We need somebody who's actually going to go and figure out where the money's going without regard to party, without regard to politics, and figure out, does this make sense or not for our state? That's the mentality we need, and that's why we do have the support of people like Andrew Yang, who ran for president as a Democrat, Gloria Romero, who used to be the leader of the state Senate for the Democrats in California, the centrist Democrats of America. You've mentioned uh, other endorsements we have across the state and country as well. We've got more that we're going to announce this week. Prominent Democrats, prominent independents saying, yes, we're with this guy because he's a problem solver. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If somebody wants deep partisan politics, they're going to have to look somewhere else because that's just not who I am. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I have been a Republican my whole life. I continue to be. There's some areas where I wish our party would do better, where my party would do better, uh, and I'm going to work on those things. But I'll tell you, this job is not about being a Republican or Democrat. It shouldn't be. It should be about who's going to do the best job for the people of this state. And we know we got problems. We know we got to deal with them. And so with that, um, what elevator pitch, you're, you're in an elevator, someone probably just doesn't know you. What would you say to them? What do you say to the audience listening now as we're wrapping it up? Why should people vote for you over your opponent? Because we need someone with the experience and background who's going to do the job well and do it without regard to partisanship or politics. We need somebody who understands that our state needs more accountability, more transparency for every dollar we spend. We as taxpayers deserve better than what we're getting right now. We deserve to know where the gas tax money is going. We deserve to know what our public schools are doing. We deserve to know why it is that $30 billion went out the door for unemployment insurance fraud. We deserve to understand why homelessness is not getting solved. And our next controller has the opportunity to give us that information. Knowledge is power, and I intend to arm every Californian with the knowledge they need to make smart decisions about how this state can can, can get better and how we can do better. And so 
Um, I, I think I've got the energy and the experience and the background as somebody who spent time in government, who spent time in the private se- sector, who understands business, bringing the right background and experience to make California better. I grew up here. I want my kids to stay here when they get older. But the way we're headed now, I don't know if they can. I don't know if we will. And California, we can all do better. And that's why uh, I hope people will support what I'm trying to do. Personal question. A lot of people have left California, and a lot of people say there's no hope for California. You're here in California. You moved to California from North Carolina. Um, What do you say to people that are kind of like on the brink of leaving, but they want, they still believe in change? But we can make things better here. We can make things better. It's going to take a lot of work. We're going to have to work together. But don't give up on California yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think California is worth fighting for. Uh, I think our politics are broken. I think we've got too many people who go up there and just care about hearing themselves talk, who just care about being politicians. We need people who will go up there and actually solve problems. And if we do, we can help turn the state around. We can head in a different direction. We can begin to make the changes we need to make to make this a place where people want to come and live and, and grow, grow businesses and grow families. Uh, that's what it was when my parents came here. That's what it was when I was growing up in the 90s. And we can be there again. We don't have to lose 300,000 people a year to different states. Yeah. We, can be a, we can be a state uh, that is leading the country again as opposed to just being a place that people look at and they say, oh, that's just California being California. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we can't allow mediocrity to – we can't accept that as Californians. So I hope people will hang on. I hope they'll vote, by the way. I hope you get out and vote. Absolutely. I, I could use your support. By the way, if you want to find out more about me and my campaign, go to chenforcalifornia.com, C-H-E-N-F-O-R, california.com. Find out more about who I am, what we want to do. See our first television ad that's going up on TV here uh, today and, and across the state soon. And, and, and sign up to help because we could use your help. We could use the support of communities across California. That's the only way we're going to succeed, and that's the only way we're going to turn this around. And where can people find you online? Uh, you can uh, uh, Twitter is just at Lan He Chen, at L-A-N-H-E-E-C-H-E-N. We're also on Instagram, Lan He Chen. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're, we, we try to keep a, a robust social media pref- presence. I like to show people not just ideas, but also, hey, here's what we're doing as a, as a campaign. Here's just what I'm doing with my family. We, my family and I got all dressed up in our Dodgers gear yesterday for the start of the playoffs, and we put a picture out about that because, you know, I know we got people across the state that root for a lot of different teams, but I'm a Dodger fan. I always will be one, and I don't, you know, I don't make any secret about that. So yeah. we, we like to show people what we're doing on the campaign trail because it's a great state, Anthony. It really is. Like, I, I get to travel all over. I know you've had Brian on. You've had Jack on. They do the same thing. They travel mm-hmm. up and down the state. It's an awesome state. It is. We've got great people here, uh, people who are trying to make it work. And uh, we seem to have a government that is doing everything it can to make our lives harder, mm-hmm. to make our lives more difficult. Why is that? It's time for change. Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you so much for your thank time you. today. Uh, I think everyone here learned today what State Controller does and how important it is, yeah. uh, especially when it comes to accountability and transparency. And so, like you said, there's two options uh, we, we, we have your opponent who doesn't pay taxes and, 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 you know, goes to study socialism abroad, which I think is going to turn off a lot of Hispanics and Latinos yeah. that fled that. Um, and then, you know, a person like yourself who's very well educated and I'm 
very impressed and thank you again so much for, for taking the time here and you know to everyone listening at home please make sure you share uh toward the end you guys saw where you can sign up for his campaign make sure you sign up for his campaign if you wish to help uh less than 30 days to the midterms the most important thing that you can do to have your voice heard is go out there and vote don't let anyone convince you otherwise our faith is in god and god alone and um you know we got to believe that he is bigger than any of the problems or any of the pessimists or other negativity out there so again thank you guys for tuning in and make sure you share like subscribe and you share this with anyone out there that wants to learn more so thank you guys again and thank you again Mr. Lonnie James. thank you